Good morning, church. It is a good morning, a blessed morning. No matter where you find yourself on the ledger, whether your week's been full of excitement, whether your week's been full of turmoil, it is good because God is good and He remains on the throne. Amen? Uh, I want to share something real quick. Um, I'm going to give you the quick and dirty because there's more to it than this. But, uh, uh, you know, if you were here last week or the last several weeks, you know that uh, recently uh, my wife and I, we, you know, we've been going through a lot as far as, uh, you know, people close to us passing away, family members not well. One of Veronica's uh, cousins was recently uh, induced uh, into a coma because of uh, COVID. And, you know, the doctors wanted to do that because they thought that his body would respond better. Well, I'm going to read to you this text message real quick. And, um, and it's just a testament to God's faithfulness, uh, despite uh what the circumstances look like. We know he's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. He can, uh, you know, allow someone to go through this and, and, and pass on uh, because it's best for them in the bigger scheme of things. Or, you know, he could, uh, you know, regenerate someone physically and, and restore their health. But it says uh, from uh, Veronica said her, her cousin's name is Sophia. It says, good morning, family. It's been a roller coaster of a week, especially these last few days. Not only were we, t- were we told of Rob's extremely low heart rate, but the doctors also suspected he may have suffered a stroke from a possible blood clot in his brain, but were unable to determine for sure because he has not, uh, he has not been stable enough to receive a CT scan to confirm. And then it goes on in, in, um, in, in caps, but God, with two exclamation points. It says, the boys and I, uh, and and Rob's immediate uh, immediate family have visited him at the hospital last night, and I left feeling again all capital letters with the exclamation point extremely hopeful. His heart rate has stabilized, and his nurse just called me to tell me that for the first time Rob was awake and trying to mouth words to her last night. However, the battle is still trying to keep his vitals in a safe range while trying to get him conscious the other battle is that unfortunately his lungs still haven't improved i believe in the power of prayer and i believe all the prayer warriors were working double time double overtime in these last few days which is why rob's heart rate was stabilized and why he is still alive today it is truly a miracle we are really taking everything day by day and hour by hour at this point but i just wanted to update you all on this we serve a mighty God, as our pastor said, we will not believe the doctor's report. We will believe God's report. Uh, and, and again, you know, yeah, it's a it's a testimony. It's a testament to the Lord and his faithfulness to his people. And like I said, I don't know where you're at this morning, where you find yourself. But you got to know you serve a, a big God. Bigger than your circumstances, bigger than where you may find yourself at the current moment. And and the thing I think to take away from um, not only this particular situation, but wherever we find ourselves in circumstances is where's God in all this? Where is God? He's right beside you. 
I mean, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit indwelt living in your body, in your physical frame, in your vessel. So you're actually carrying, taking the Holy Spirit with you wherever you are. So again, the encouragement is no matter where you find yourself, no matter what you're walking through, be encouraged that uh, your circumstances may seem dreary. They may seem dark. They may be painful. They may be difficult to get through. But your Lord, my Lord, our God is walking with you every step of the way. Amen. And that deserves a praise to the Lord. All right. You see, so in, in, in the difficult circumstances of life, you see, God is infinite. He's sovereign. He has a plan that we can't foresee where we will focus on this man and, and, and the difficulty he's going through. But it's through those difficult circumstances that bring people to grips with who Jesus Christ really is. And you see people, again, their hearts being convicted, their hearts being regenerated, their hearts being saved, their souls being saved through the difficulty that one man goes through and endures or what one woman would go through and so again it's a reflection that the things that you go through are not in vain right the things you go through are going to be a testimony to someone else and lord willing someone else is going to come to see the light of jesus christ through the difficult circumstances you've had to walk through because again we understand that the bottom line is if god's through with you then he's going to call you home I don't care if your arms get chopped off, your legs get chopped off, and you just got that frame of who you are. If the Lord leaves you alive, it's for a purpose, and it's going to be a mighty thing that he's going to go do through your life. Amen? All right. Um, I'm super excited this morning as, um, you know, we're, we're continuing on in the book of Revelation. And, and again, just the, these real-life things. You know, this is, not a, this is not a game. This is not a, this is not a movie. You know, we don't have cast members. We don't have a director. <laughs> This is real life. This is raw and uncut, unfiltered. This is what life is. And this is what we go through as believers in Christ. You want a real drama? <laughs> Become a Christian, man. You're going to have ups and downs that you never thought of in your life but beyond anything Hollywood could even think to produce. That's why they always go after the reality of what goes on in people's lives, the real good movies, right? They're based on <laughs> what someone actually went through. Uh, with that, we're in Revelation chapter 1. We'll be going through verses 17 down through 20. Lord willing, we're going to get through those three, <laughs> three verses. Uh, it's been extremely exciting to just unpack these verses little by little because there's so much in all of them. Um, I've entitled this message, The Son of Man, and obviously this is part three. <laughs> in my finite mind, I thought we were going to get through this in one week, and the Lord's like, not so. <laughs> Pump your brakes. There's a lot to go on here. So, uh, Lord willing, we're going to focus on these three verses, and uh, it's going to be a great time. So, if you can and you are able to, please uh, stand for the reading of God's word. I'll go ahead and read the scriptures and then we'll go ahead and pray and we'll get into uh, the message this morning. Once again, that's Revelation chapter 1 verses 17 down through 20. And it says, and this is the Apostle John speaking. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But when he laid his right hand on me. Excuse me, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. 
and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those, <clears throat> those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, uh, just praise be unto you. You're the only one who deserves all honor and glory. And we do bring this to you. We, we come to you this morning with uh, hearts of sacrifice, of praise, because you're so worthy of it. Lord, we're thankful for just the revelation in our lives of who Jesus Christ is. We are no longer spiritually blind, but we're awakened to the truth of who Jesus is. And that is the most important thing to get settled before we leave this earth is who do we say Jesus is and who is he to us personally? Is he Savior and Lord of our lives? And I hope and I pray that answer is yes for all of us. Lord, we pray that you would now speak through your word uncut May you help uh, me to rightfully divide your word as well as uh, this congregation. May we be able to see Jesus and the truth of who your son is in every aspect of scripture this morning. Father, we thank you and love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, Again, just a, a super exciting time. I know that there's a lot going on in the world, in society, but there's no better time to be a Christian a true Christian, there's no better time to, to share true Christian values and to do it in love. Because people are looking for some stability, right? Things are so unstable all across the board. You know, um, people look to other things. Oh, is Jeopardy on? Are the 49ers playing tonight on primetime? Uh, you know, things like that. You know, some sort of stability. Woo-hoo. Things, <laughs> woohoo, you know. You know, things that we, we gravitate to to find some kind of normalcy in this life. And we need Christ. We need Christ to be the center of that normalcy because without Him, He's the only one who is unshakable, unmovable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, again, when the ebbs and flows of life spin out of control, you can hold on to the firm foundation of who Jesus Christ is in your life and you'll be secure you'll be anchored in truth i'm not going to say it's easy but you'll be anchored in truth and you won't be tossed to and fro like uh, the current and the waves send uh things in the ocean amen there's several main points this morning and the first one is this again jesus's response to a humble heart this is again a continuation of last week we didn't get to this point last week but it's very important Noticing um, how Jesus responds to a humble heart, meaning a submissive heart, meaning someone who's living in obedience to him that understands the gravity of who Jesus Christ is in their lives. And it's very important, again, to notice how Jesus responds to John, the apostle John, falling on his face before him. Again, God knows the hearts of men. We talked about this last week. Though... It is very important to uh, project yourself in a physical manner, prostrate before God. There's a humility in that. There's a humility in falling on your knees in prayer, right? But the reality is God knows the heart. I could be prostrate on my face. (laughs) I could be on my knees and still have a wicked heart. So it's really a manner of where is your heart, meaning the character who you are 
your inner workings, your inner person. Who is that person? Is that person submissive before the Lord in that way? And like I said, Jesus Christ knows the hearts of men. He knows all things. He's sovereign. And so Jesus Christ knew the Apostle John's position of humbling himself was genuine. It says that the Apostle John dropped to his face uh, as if he were a dead man. And it was out of reverence. It was out of a reverent fear, a reverent respect for who Jesus Christ was. He wasn't just posing and posturing. We, we clearly see the difference in Scripture. The Pharisees would go out on the street corners and, and, and proclaim out loud what they were doing. Oh, I'm praying. Or they would go into the temple and they say, Oh, I'm about to give. <laughs> I'm going to give this amount. Right? What does the Bible say? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing in the sense of when you give. That should be between you and the Lord, right? And we don't, we, we don't even have to get into the whole thing. As a, you know, the New Testament doesn't even specify. Anytime it's brought up about what the 10% is, the New Testament never says because it's not about that. And if you really want to go back to the Old Testament, it's not even 10%. You can blow that out the water. It's more like 23% if you want to be specific of, as far as what you were supposed to give. So the whole, oh, I only give 10%, you know. Oh, if I have $100, I give 10%. God's have, it's not about that. It's about your heart. It's always about your heart, right? Because there may be times where you could give, you only can give uh, $10 because you really need that other money. Or there are maybe other times where you could give that whole thing or whatever it is, but that's between you and the Lord. But you see, there was a big difference between the apostle uh, John and, and the Pharisees. He, 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 didn't, he didn't drop to his feet as a dead man because he was trying to put on a show for people or put on a show for Jesus. This was something that was in his heart to do. Because he recognized, again, the revelation, the revealing, the uncovering truth of who Jesus Christ is and all his splendor and all his glory brought the apostle to his knees, to his face, because out of genuine respect in awe of who Jesus Christ was. You see, but this is Jesus Christ's response. He placed his right hand on him and told him not to fear. Oh, man, that's so beautiful. There was a warm embrace that occurred when John willingly humbled himself before Jesus Christ. You see, he was received with mercy, with grace, with encouragement. John was reassured of who Jesus Christ was and is and will be the ruler and controller of all the earth. Have you experienced that this week? Have you experienced God placing his right hand, so to speak, upon your life and reassuring you that you are okay, that you are found in him and you are comforted? Have you have you experienced encouragement, mercy and grace? You see, these are things that are always ongoing. We should be growing in these things of the Lord because that's what it means to walk with him. That's what it means to commune with him. And you can have that same experience as the Apostle John today this morning in your life out of these walls you know you can experience that and it's a beautiful thing it's so rich it makes you just want more of who christ is that's the first main point he responds in such a loving way to those who choose to humble their lives before him all right the second main point is this jesus's power reaches far past death and hell you see, when Jesus told John that he had the keys to death and to Hades, it meant that he ruled supremely over these things. Supremely. Meaning there's no match. There is no rival. There is no opponent 
worthy of the Lord. It's not as if death or hell ever had any bit of power to even rival the Lord. That's not the case at all. You see, God created hell for angels who rebelled, right? The third of the angels, the angelic beings that were in uh, heaven when all this occurred, when Lucifer chose to rebel against God because of his pride. And hell was created for them. These fallen angels we know are, 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 are now demons. And, and, and it's so interesting, you know, uh, what, what were we watching? I was watching a college football game, and it's just so funny, you know. I, I get it, Halloween's coming or whatever. They got some new Michael Myers commercial out, and, you know, <laughs> get a glimpse of, uh, of this crooked-faced fella. And I'm like, guide! <laughs> the guide, I'm reaching for the controller. You know, I put the guide on. And, you know, it just occurred to me, it's like, it's so, it's so sad when people have become so desensitized to things of that nature that they would just allow that to play in their living room and they don't even twitch at the images of <laughs> some knife with blood stabbing a person, some demonic persona on the screen. You know when it's, you know, because it's just got that feeling. It's like, this is not right. This is unclean. This is not cool. But again, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're not going to think twice about it. But maybe, I, maybe I should rephrase what I'm saying. And it's, it's very sad when Christians who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord don't even balk, don't even flinch at things like that. And I'm not being legalistic because I know some people are like, oh, you know, I don't even own a TV. <laughs> I don't even own a TV. Well, then you got to go be with the Amish and you can't use electricity and you can't use medicine. So you're definitely not getting vaccinated and you're not. I'm just saying, you know, but but there's got to be some sense of. I stand on absolute truth. I, I, I'm no longer with unclean things. I have the Holy Spirit living within me. And so things that grieve the Holy Spirit should grieve me. I should not be all about that. I shouldn't be watching college football and be gaga and googling over USC cheerleaders. I get it. There's some things that come into your vision that you cannot do anything about. But to obsess and to fixate yourself on things that you know are not right, it's not good. I shouldn't overindulge and eat past my appetite should allow me because I find solace and I find refuge in food, right? There's so many angles to take this thing. And again, like I said, it's not about being legalistic. It's about understanding the delicate balance that the Holy Spirit plays in your life. And we should all be sensitive to the tipping point, <laughs> right? When we're becoming, oh, I'm becoming a little obsessed with these things. I, I, need, to, I need to back off. And, and that's where conviction comes in and plays a large role in our hearts to keep us on the straight and narrow path. Anyways, back to this whole point of Jesus having power over death and uh, Hades. You see, death is a byproduct of sin. Death is a byproduct of sin. And, 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 and sin was brought in by God's uh, creation. Right? We know that Lucifer is not created of himself. Satan is a created being. He was given the free will to honor and praise the true and living God, and he chose to rebel. So this created being brought sin into the atmosphere, so to speak, and it became even more prominent when Adam and Eve were created, and Adam and Eve decided to go against what God had told them not to do in the garden, and they ate of the delicious fruit that they were told not to specifically. And then sin entered the human race. 
But you see, anything that's created can never have power over its creator. And I know there's all kind of sci-fi nonsense about (laughs) this person constructed this robot or this thing and all of a sudden it got out of control and it's taken over the, you know. No, that's, that's man's imagination playing with things that are infinite beyond our understanding. It's kind of like, um, you know, philosophy. Again, man's, try, man's way of trying to decipher and understand his creation around him in God. Whereas, again, revelation is the revealing of truth from God to you and I. You know, that's why philosophy always fails. That's why there's so many variations of philosophy. Because every man, every woman like Romans says, we'll think as we want to think and we'll create up our own understanding of the world around us. But revelation is a whole different thing. But again, a created thing can never have power over the creator. That is why Jesus Christ's reign is supreme because all things were created by him and through him for him. That's a beautiful thing. That, that, that statement right there should set you at ease with any kind of craziness going on in your life. You don't got to stress out about uh, you know, the proud boys. You don't got to stress out about Black Lives Matter. You don't got to stress out about non-binary and this whole movement and how they're indoctrinating our children with you can be whatever you want to be. And even though, you know, your inward workings were made, you were created out of your mother's womb as a woman. You can now be a, a boy and all that. You know, you don't got to stress out on those things because all things were created for Jesus Christ, by him and for him. So he reigns supremely over all these things. Yeah. This is just mankind us trying to trying to create our own way here and trying to say it's okay it may work here down on this earth on this old rock but it will not work in heaven you cannot say i want things to be this way and god's just going to be on the ledger saying okay i'll go ahead and uh, change that for you just to suit your way it's not going to work like that amen it only works here amongst human beings because we're fickle and we we shift with the tide i was watching um uh, the Oklahoma Sooners play last night. They were playing West Virginia, and they have a, a quarterback who is a great prospect out of the, the state of Arizona. His name is Spencer Rattler, and I particularly like this player because I watched him on QB1, a Netflix series, and it kind of went by his senior year in, in, in high school, and, and, and you see all the ups and downs, and he, he owns the state record for touchdowns and passing yards in the state of Arizona. Uh, coming into this year, he's a, he's a, he's a redshirt uh, sophomore, so he's been there three years, but uh, you know, the thing is, he was projected to be the Heisman Trophy winner <laughs> the beginning of this year. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's had an okay season. They're 3-0 and so far, 4-0 and after yesterday. But he hasn't played that great. <laughs> he hasn't played that great. And, you know, he's everywhere in the state of Oklahoma and Normandy, you know, because, you know, he's uh, the quarterback for Oklahoma Sooners. And, you know, football in that state is religion like in many other places in the south and in the midwest it's a big deal and so you know as the 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 broadcasters are talking and speaking about him he had a couple bad series i think the game they won the game but it was a very low scoring game and he's supposed to be high part of a high powered offense that's you know if you know anything about oklahoma sooners football they're supposed to be putting up 70 points a game (laughs) not not winning 16 to 13 or some rickety score like that where you're just kicking field goals anyways this crowd, this is a home game, mind you. The crowd starts chanting for the backup quarterback. The backup quarterback's name. And this guy's supposed to be the projected Heisman Trophy winner. They haven't lost a game yet, but he's not producing the way they want. And so the fickle crowd, I use this, I use this illustration, and it's such a perfect illustration because it shows you the fickleness, the shiftiness of mankind. When you're good, 
Oh, man, everybody wants to be around you. Oh, yeah, what's up, champ? Oh, we're good to go. You're rolling in the Beamer. You're rolling in the Benzo. Oh, man, you got the J's on your feet. You got money in your pocket. You got the pretty woman by you. Oh, you ain't got no license? Oh, your car? You're rolling in that bucket? You're rolling in that 92 Escort? What? You wearing those old shoes? Oh, man, you smell. You ain't, you ain't took a shower in a couple days. You know, all of a sudden... Those fair weather people start dropping off. You know, people are fickle. And I'm saying, I'm saying that to say Jesus Christ is the only one that will be by your side. No matter, what did that, that, that one of those songs said something about you can go before the Lord no matter what your heart is and he'll hear you. So if I'm frustrated and stressed out, I can go before the Lord, he's going to hear me. I may not like what he has to say, but I can, he, he, he'll hear me and I have refuge in him. No matter what my situation is, I can go to him and he'll comfort me, he'll be with me. That's not like people. You know, we're so fickle. We're so fickle. You just think about, you know, the, the crowd, the Jews back then when they brought out Jesus. They're like, crucify him. A minute ago, they were, you know, a couple of days ago, they were saying he's a savior. They were loving him. Oh, yeah, feed me. Feed me fish. Feed me bread. Heal me. Get the mud. Make my eyes see. Change my heart. Well, I really, they weren't really tripping off their heart. They were tripping off physical things. Take the spots away. I don't want to be a leper. <laughs> a week later, they're saying crucify him, right? We see this. The fickleness of humanity. And so that's why we need to be aware of our own hearts in the sense that we submit to him because we need him to set us straight. The best way to live is living by the precepts of the Bible. It will never fail you. Amen. It will never fail you. If you take seriously the principles that are in the Bible and you allow the Holy Spirit to help you apply these things to your life. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying people won't laugh at you. People may look at you and say, oh, you're just a joke. Oh, you're corny. You're a Christian. You're one of those fools. Oh, yeah, you drink the juice that think it's blood and you eat the bread and think it's flesh. They totally mis- misconstrue the, con- the context and the concept of that. But what I'm saying is roll with Jesus Christ. You're always going to end up on top no matter what you're going through. I mean, the testament of what my wife said. Man, her wife's, her wife's cousin induced into a coma... And, I, and, you know, I, it's close to my heart because I like tattoos and, you know, he, I've, you know I've, I've rubbed shoulders with the guy, know him personally. And, you know, to, to hear that and all the things that he's going through, but to hear that, man, people have been getting saved. People have really been professing Jesus Christ through this tragedy. It's just a beautiful thing. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> you're going to always end up on top no matter what you go through as long as you stick to Jesus. Go your own way. Oh, man. You could be like Bill Buffett. You could have Bill Buffett money. You could have Bill Gates money. How's he doing? We need to pray for that man's soul. How's Newsom doing? He got all this supposed power, but he's over here doing a whole other mess. It's a bunch of nonsense. I don't even want to get into that. (laughs) But it's a whole other mess. People need Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. The third main point is this. The church is anchored in Jesus Christ. You see, as we continue our study in the book of Revelation, we will see the state of the Lord's church in different places. We're going to see the condition of, it's all one church, but obviously the church is spread out in different sectors, whatever you want to call it, districts, all that. It doesn't matter because, you know, the, 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 the church is spread out over a wide land. But the state of every Uh, individual, we call them congregations, is a little bit different. We're all going through different things, right? And we'll see this in these churches that we'll study in the next upcoming weeks, Lord willing. You see, at every different location of all the churches, there were things that Jesus Christ commended about them, but there were also things 
that Jesus Christ brought to their attention that needed to be corrected. This was at every church. Okay? Even even the ones that even the one that was really good, Philadelphia. There's still stuff that needs to be done or continued, I should say. We can't rest on our laurels because we get a good praise from the Lord about what we're doing. The overarching theme here is that Jesus Christ is holding them securely in his right hand. Right hand is a symbolism of absolute control and power. In his right hand, he holds the church. It's not that any local church mentioned stood on its own. They were all rooted in Jesus Christ. You see, he was the one who held them up with his mighty right hand. And we today should always be looking for Jesus Christ as the source of our stability. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and unpack these verses. So back to 17 and 18. The Apostle John is saying, When I saw him, speaking of Jesus Christ, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death in Hades. So this first statement we see is, uh, again, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet. You see, John was, again, overwhelmed by the awesome vision, even though he was an apostle who knew Jesus Christ on earth. He spent a lot of time with Jesus in the flesh. Three years he spent with Jesus when Jesus was here on earth. But even those three years didn't really prepare the apostle to see Jesus Christ in his heavenly glory. We talked about this last week, about how he would shine how he is the light. And so when we go to be with him in heaven, there is going to be no physical sun. There's going to be no need for that because he illuminates light radiant throughout eternity based on who he is, based on, based on his character. That's just amazing. No PG&E. <laughs> Ain't going to have to worry about no power lines falling. If you live in the country or got you know, property up there, you don't have to learn about things getting burnt down and <clears throat> them having to be sued and all the nonsense going on with that. No conglomerate <laughs> to take over, right? But Jesus Christ is the light himself. And so this is a big reason why the apostle John was just in awe. He was enamored by <clears throat> the grandeur, the splendor. I use these words because they're the only words that we have in the, in the human, uh, in, in the English you know, diction to, to kind of even somewhat describe the greatness of, of God. You know, I wouldn't say that about the Niners. I like the Niners, but I wouldn't say the grandeur of Jimmy Garoppolo. Give me a break. <laughs> that just sounds silly, right? You got to have it in context, you know, whatever. And, you know, those who like Trey Young, it is what it is. We'll see if he can produce. But the bottom line is only Jesus Christ is worthy of these titles and of these sayings because he is the one who sits on the throne. Amen. The reality is this. We are never so much alive spiritually as when we are dead at his feet. Meaning, we are never alive more spiritually than when we are dead to ourselves. We are dead to our flesh. What did the Apostle Paul says? I die to my flesh daily. It's a daily thing. It's a daily choice. You see, this is where, I love Jake Vernon McGee. He always say that when the rubber meets the road, right? Christianity is not a passive thing. There is an, an action word called a verb. That has to take place in our lives. You and I must understand that faith is a verb. It's an action word. I can't say, oh, I believe. <laughs> I believe, but I don't do anything. And again, it's not, it's not, it's not work-based. It's not this whole idea of I got to do because 
That's how I'm received. No, I do because my heart's been changed. And now out of the goodness of what's been done to me, that's why I do. I want to do good. But you see, humility is such a big part of this because he was humbled before God. If you are humbled before the Lord this morning, you are alive. You are alive spiritually. You are not dead spiritually. You are awakened to the reality of who Jesus Christ is and who he is in your life and how that affects every aspect of your being. It's so true. It really is. You cannot avoid that. You cannot deny that fact that humility brings liveliness in your spirit. The application is this. The beginning of our life in Christ starts with our dying to ourselves. We have to recognize that apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. It is only by Him that we are brought to a newness of life. This is one of those things that are non-negotiable. It's, it's, you can't have it both ways. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 tells me, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a beautiful saying. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live for Jesus Christ, I really am living life. And when I die to myself, meaning the old things have passed away, my old nature, what I used to do, my lifestyle, the way I thought, the things I used to engage in, the things that I would find uh, solace in and hope in, those things, they turn me off now. I don't like those things. Will you be uh, enticed by those things? Maybe you will. Maybe you will. But that doesn't mean you're running back to those things saying, oh, I immerse myself in this lifestyle. You say no. You recognize the difference and you say no to those things. I'm dead to those things. I'm dead to Satan. I'm dead to sin. And what does Satan do? Because he's the accuser of the brethren and the sister, and if you will. <laughs> That's what that means. Because some people get all, why does it always say brother? Why is it always? Man, people don't understand the context. Understand the context of how it's written. He didn't mean just men <laughs> in that context. He meant you're being accused right now. Satan is accusing you and I. Of something to God. But we have Jesus Christ on our side. And if you live for him, to die is gain. Next it says, again, he, he, speaking of Jesus Christ, he laid his right hand upon John. You see, first Jesus comforted the apostle John with a compassionate touch. You see, perhaps this touch of Jesus felt more familiar than the appearance of Jesus. Maybe. Maybe the touch. Maybe it wasn't anything about because he didn't recognize him in all his grandeur and his splendor, but when he touched him, oh man, the warmth, the comfort, right? Have you ever been in a circumstance where you just needed to be comforted and, 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 a, and a brother or sister comes along and, and they have the wherewithal, they have the discernment to see that you just need to be comforted and they don't come and talk to you. I was just like, oh man, you know, lay, lay your head on my shoulder and, and, and you're like, wow, you know, for that brief moment, you feel peace. You feel comfort. The grief kind of is more tolerable because you have a brother or sister in Christ that's willing to come alongside with you and hold your hand. You know that that's Jesus working through that person, right? And they come alongside you because Jesus knows you need that tender touch. You may not need someone barking at you telling you, oh, well, that person, I know that they're wrong and we'll get them. No, it's just you just need to be comforted. You just need that comforting touch, that warm touch. And this is what was going on with Jesus and the Apostle John at this moment. Um, Kind of an example of this, you know, so we moved last week and I'm not going to put this company on blast, but I'm just going to say 
it was pretty frustrating what was going on. But then again, I was able to see Jesus Christ in the details. So, you know, we had this window of 10 to 10 to uh, excuse me, 8 to 10 where they were supposed to show up. All of a sudden I get this call close to 10 o'clock and the guy's like, hey, you know, we uh, we had a long night last night. And, you know, we had a, 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 a job that lasted 20 hours. And, you know, I, you know, I just, how, how urgent is the move? I said, the, ur- the move is urgent. <laughs> I said, we cannot do this another day. He said, hey, what about later? I said, no, not about later today. I said, I'm a pastor. I pastor a church. We got service in the morning. I said, we have things we need to get done. I said, oh, oh okay. <laughs> and they show up. They do their job. That's fine. And, but then going to the new spot, Veronica's right in front of them. She's like, just follow me. You have the address of the new location. It's right here. I mean, we're going from Landis and Morrell to Sunny Hills right, right around the corner. It don't take but five minutes, seven minutes on the freeway. Man, we, we get there. We're waiting a half hour. Like, where are these people at with all of our stuff? Then they call her and say, oh, you know, we, I, I was talking to another client and I didn't, I didn't, I, I typed in the wrong address. We're like, you know what, don't, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Don't lie to us. Just be, just be honest. You probably, if you really work 20 hours straight, you probably stopped and got a bite to eat, which it is what it is, but be honest. You know, so by this time, you know, she's frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm like, man, Lord, what is going on? You know, I don't like this. I, I, I told her, why did you hire this company? I never heard of this company before. You should have did your due diligence. Who is this guy? And she's like, well, I've seen them doing stuff at my work. And, you know, I said, well, you know what? These, it's just, it's ghetto what's going on here. I said, it's not professional. It's not right. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't like it. And then the Lord had to get a hold of me. <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm pacing back and forth, it's hot, I'm sweaty. As you saw last week, two weeks of not shaving. I was just not in a good place and the lord's like something good's going to come out of this you need to honor me despite this because me and my wife then talked about well what about the tip and then she said well why should we tip them we're all you're already paying them and this is after the lord had already shown me and convicted me i said you know what we need to honor the lord in this i said what does the lord say when you're on your enemies Feed them, clothe them, give them food to eat. It will be like a hot coal on their head, burning on them. It'll, it'll, it'll cause them to see the error in their ways, Lord willing, and they will see Jesus in who he is in your goodness to them. And so despite these men not doing their job to the ability they should have, we not only tipped them well, but I remember at the old house, the driver stopped me in the middle of the, the hallway and said, oh, you're a pastor? Uh, maybe he thought, you're a pastor? You're wearing a baseball cap backwards. you got tattoos up and down your body. I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. And I said, you know, and, and I got a chance to share my testimony with him and give honor and glory to God. And he was like, hmm. He was like, hmm. And I'm not saying that uh, I planted a seed through the Lord. I'm not, I don't know if I watered a seed that was already there. All I'm saying is, the situation was difficult. The situation excuse me, was frustrating. But God was in the details. So I was like, you know what? It was worth it that, you know what? Yeah, you guys showed up late and you were trying to cancel on me. And we got to bless you with a good tip. And we got to share the love of Jesus with you. Because maybe, just maybe, that might be another piece in the Lord's puzzle that one day down the road will save a person's soul. All that to say, it's the comfort that comes from the Lord.
It's the comforting hand. They might not have recognized me from anybody, but it's not about me anyways. It's about who's working through me to touch the lives of someone else, even when I'm frustrated, even when I'm mad, right? And that's how it's supposed to work. Married couples, you know what I'm talking about. When you're frustrated with your spouse, you're still supposed to show love in a dignified manner to your spouse because that's, that's what love is. It's not this, it's not this ooey-gooey emotion because that wears away quick and then you're left with, this is who I really married. This is who I really am. And we got to figure this thing out because we're one flesh. <laughs> and, and we got to make it work. You know what I'm saying? It's not based on emotion because emotions run thin. Emotions are fickle. That's why people can say, oh, we love the Heisman Trophy pro- projectee. And then the next minute they say, yeah, with this guy, bring the next guy in. You know, because f- emotions are fickle. But we base our service to the Lord and our service to others out of obedience. Well, the emotions will follow at some point, right? But, but we are supposed to serve out of obedience. Jesus gave this command to the apostle John, do not be afraid. You see, John didn't need to be afraid because he was in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus clearly identifies himself to John with three titles. Jesus is the first and the last. Jesus is the God of all eternity. And he also is the Lord of eternity past and eternity future. The application for us is this. That beautiful baby right there. They're so precious when they're that little. Got the little bow on there. (laughs) The application is this. When you and I truly identify with Jesus Christ through our faith in him and obedience in our steps, no matter what you face, you don't need to live in fear. Notice there's, there's some conditional things here, though. Because like I said, it's not a cakewalk. It ain't just an end-all, be-all. I'm on autopilot. I got, dipped in the <laughs> I got dipped in the water. I'm baptized. I come out and now I'm, I can just do whatever I want. And I'm just going to, you know, Jesus is going to protect me. No, it's live in obedience. Humble your lifestyle before him. Honor him in all you do. And honor him in all you do when it's difficult. Because everybody does okay when everything's rolling good. But how about when you're getting sucker punched and kicked on the ground? Are you still <laughs> loving people? And like I said, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying be a punk. I'm not saying be a punching bag and get just, you know, used and abused by people. I am not saying that. But I'm saying look at Christ despite your circumstances. And for those who look to inflict harm and pain upon you, you pray for them. I mean, you don't got to pray in their face, but you're praying in your heart. What I pray for these people? What did Jesus do? He was on the cross. He said, have mercy on these people. They don't even know what they're doing. They're crucifying me. They don't understand that I'm laying my life down so they can all be saved. They think they're taking their life from me. They are not taking their life from, my life from them, or from me, excuse me, because I have the authority to lay my life down and take it back up. He said, they're fickle. <laughs> they want control so bad. That they're like, crucify him so we can have our traditions. (laughs) And he's like, I've come to give life to you people, spiritual life. But the whole point is, live in obedience. Live with the heart dedicated to him. And you don't have to fear the things in life. I love this verse so much. 1 John 4.18. It's one of the verses that I have memorized throughout the years. I love it so much. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected 
in love. Wow. So I'm not going to lie. There's moments when I fear. <laughs> I'm not perfected yet. And I'm okay with that because I'm in the sanctification process and so are you and so am I. So am I. With the whole thing, what I'm trying to say is as you find yourself going into that realm of fear, you got to remember verses like this. Perfect love casts out all fear. Who's perfect love? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ casts out all fear. So when you call upon the name of the Lord with obedience in your heart, knowing that you have a right relationship with him, you can call upon the name of Jesus Christ and that fear gets to go like that, like that. It's like you turn off these lights, it's dark. The minute that switch turns on, the darkness flees and all you have is light. It's the same thing with fear. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ and you will be at peace. You see, Jesus is the one who lives and was dead and is alive forevermore. He has the credentials of resurrection and lives to never die again. The victory that Jesus Christ won over sin and death was a permanent victory. He didn't rise from the dead to die again. That's why, again, Jesus is the one who has the keys to Hades and death. This is very important because, unfortunately, in Christianity, because of false teachings or not correct doctrine, people have a funny idea of of hell and the devil. Uh, Some imagine that the devil is somehow the Lord of hell. You know, I don't know if they're they're listening to too much 80s rock music, (laughs) Black Sabbath or what have you, where, you know... uh, this darkness is being portrayed in a certain way. And, and, you know, I mean, the occult is real. Let's keep it real, right? There are churches of Satan. There are people who openly worship Satan. So don't act surprised. Like, yes, there are people that summon demonic spirits, vexes, hexes, all that stuff is real. Curses, generational curses, all that stuff is real. That's why you have to, I have to understand the power that we have harnessed in the person of Jesus Christ in and through us through the Holy Spirit. Because you have the authority to stomp out all that nonsense in Jesus Christ's name. None of that stuff has to have authority over you. There's generational curses in my family that have ended with me. They're not moving on to my son and my daughter. Because I've made the choice to dedicate my life to Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to have all that nonsense that was going on generations prior to continue on through me. And all this stuff is real. It's so real. Um, You know, but again... Somehow people think that, G, uh, that Satan is the Lord of hell. And some imagine that the devil has authority or power to determine life or death. Some people think they're going to go to hell and it's going to be a big old party. <laughs> no, no. See, this is what happens is Satan makes going to hell as appealing as it can be by offering you the riches and the luxuries and the things of this world. So he's like the Pied Piper. <laughs> playing that tune when you're spiritually dead you're going to walk to it and you're going to be like oh my my bank account's fat i'm driving a maserati i got you know i got illicit relationships here and there and i'm feeling good about myself or i'm getting high on this i'm getting high on that but you're walking yourself influenced by satanic spirit on the way to hell when you go to hell there's not going to be no fancy cars there's not going to be no high-rise penthouse going to be none of that there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth weeping because you would have wished that you would have made the decision to accept jesus christ when you had the time you would wish for uh, a droplet of water to just douse yourself in so you could just feel a little instance of comfort but it's not going to come because you've made your decision here on earth you see we can trust that jesus christ never lets the devil borrow the keys 
The possession, the keys of death, means that the risen Christ has control and authority over death. Uh, John chapter uh, 10, verse 17 and 8 tells us, The reason for my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. You see, when Jesus died, he died according to his own timing when he gave his spirit up. The Holy Spirit, that means. Pilate, remember Pilate, he was super surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. You see, Jesus, who has the authority over death, had the unique power to give up his spirit and to rise from the dead. He has the authority to release his followers from death in order that they may be with him forever. God bless you. That's a big man sneeze right there. (laughs) That's a big man. You heard that bass. (laughs) You know, you think of the concept giving someone the keys to the city, right? It's like this awkward, cartoonish looking key. And it symbolizes that this person has, uh, you know, favor in the city. And they have authority that they have the keys to the city. Um, The Bible frequently speaks of keys as representing control or authority over someone or something. This concept makes sense. To possess a master key to a building is to have the authority to open it up at any of its doors as an entry room. Like I have the keys to this building. I get to come early in the morning and set things up and I have the authority to open up those glass doors and do whatever I got to do in the building. Where Jesus Christ has the keys to death in the Hades. He has the authority by himself alone to have control and power over these things. There are many uh, instances of this in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 2. Elikim, the son of Hilakiah, an honorable man sent with an impossible errand. In chapter 22, it's written that Elikim would be given authority and that God would place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. And by the, house of, uh, by the key to the house of David, it is meant that the Lord would place Elikim in a position of authority. We see this. And later on, Elikim becomes a governor of the palace in Jerusalem. That's a great illustration of that right there. Um, In Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, an angel is given a key to control over the bottomless pit, and he uses the key to open up that pit. Later on, an angel is seen locking things up in the bottomless pit. That's in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, if you're taking notes. Eternal life through Jesus Christ is the blessed assurance that John describes. The application is this. Jesus having the keys of death and the keys of hell means that he has the power to release from death any of those who receive him, his salvation that he offers. That's an amazing thing. So now, as you, a child of God, no matter what you're going through, you know, like uh, my, my, wife's, my wife's cousin's husband, if things work out physically, all right, he's still on this earth. If things don't work out physically, he's going to pass on. But he's going to pass on into eternity with salvation at hand. That's a beautiful thing. So I'm not saying that we should be willy-nilly about our health and, and not want good things to happen to us physically. What I'm saying is we all know that that's the equalizer, right? Death, that's the final blow on this life. But we can know whenever we're going to hit that final blow, as long as we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, you don't have to fear Yes, you're going to not see your loved ones here, but there's going to be such a greater thing in heaven. And eventually you will be, you will see your loved ones. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. So that's just an encouragement that, you know, don't, don't fear. Don't fear death. What did Jesus say? Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Because he's taken that. 
And he has claimed authority over that thing. All right, last two verses. Let's wrap it up. 19 and 20, it says, Write then, excuse me, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, write these things. This second command was uh, given to the Apostle John to, to, to write. He needed to write these things down to give a structured understanding of the book of Revelation. For us, for us readers today, for us followers of Christ today, to kind of understand and grasp what's going on here. You see, John is commanded to write regarding the past, the present, and the future. This is John looking at it from his perspective as the Lord allowed him to see. The things which you have seen. This means that Jesus wanted John to write the things that had, he had just seen in the vision that was given to him, the glorious heavenly Jesus Christ. Things which are. This means that Jesus wanted John to write about the things of his present day. The things that were regarding the seven churches which are in Asia, which we'll get into in the upcoming weeks. The seven churches which represent the overall church of Jesus Christ. This is what that means. The things which are to take place after this. This means that Jesus wanted John to write about the things that are going to happen. You guys are knowledgeable people of things to come regarding the churches in the last days. You see, the book of Revelation is arranged in this three-part structure. The first one is this. Again, the things which you have seen, that's in Revelation chapter 1. The things which are, that's Revelation chapter 2 and 3. The things which are to take place after this. This is Revelation 4 all the way down through 22. So that's all that's going to come. That's with the bowls, the judgments, all that, the tribulation, all that, the rapture of the church. That's all going to be what's going to take place. And we're still waiting for that. So that's kind of where we are on God's timeline. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. See, now Jesus is going to interpret his own images here. The stars in his hand represent the angels of the seven churches. The lampstands represent the seven churches themselves. Hopefully you can follow that. We know that each church has its own angel and that Jesus is holding these angels in his hand, in his right hand, securing them. Now, you may or may not agree with this. This is something that uh, biblical scholars go back and forth on. Some believe these angels are the pastors of these seven churches. This idea is based on a literal understanding of the ancient Greek word, which is translated agalos. Am I pronouncing that correct, correctly, Daniel? I have my, my friend, my great scholar friend here. Is that, is that pronounced that correctly? A-G-G-E-L-O-S. Uh, Agalos. Great. Thank you, sir. That word literally means messenger, and certainly pastors are messengers to the church. Others think the angel or angels might be guardian angels over each congregation. Some suggest that the angels are not literal beings at all, but they just represent the prevailing spirit of each church. Now, I don't want to speculate on all this. You know, I'm just sharing with this with you because these are perspectives that you find as you study the book of Revelation. There are strengths and weaknesses to any of these interpretations. But we do know that in some way these angels are representative of each congregation. Um, again, some think about, you know, whatever the pastor in this, they're saying that because, uh, you know, in the synagogues among the Jews, 
They called, you know, the teacher, the messenger of the church whose business was to read, pray, and to teach the synagogue. But this is the focus. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm belittling that. At, in no way, shape, or form am I saying any of that about either of those topics. But this is the main thing. We must remember the focus. Who is the focus? It's all about Jesus Christ, not the vessel he chooses to use. You see, it's more important to notice where the angels are. You see, because some people are oh, hungry for power. Oh, yeah. I'm the angel. <laughs> you ain't going to hear that coming out of my mouth. I know my heart. Man, okay, Lord. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just a vessel being used. But the most important thing is, where are these angels? They're at his right hand. This is a place of safety and strength. Even the problem churches, like Laodicea, talking about, dude, you're lukewarm. I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth. Even that lukewarm church, because it was a true church, not no other church with you know other beliefs it's a real church that believes in jesus christ sitting on the throne even the problem churches are in his right hand the application is this as i close and, and the worship team comes up i was going to say isaiah with the baby playing the guitar <laughs> oh. but the application is this in christ you are secure you see he loves you and i with a perfect love this was a spectacular vision and many people wish that they could have a spectacular vision like John had. But we can know the very same Jesus that he saw. You see, we can know Jesus Christ's purity, his eternal wisdom, his uh, searching judgment, his victory, his authority, and his majesty. You see, each of these aspects of his nature are something that we should know and can know intimately. When we think of John's spectacular vision, we should remember, where was John? He was on the island of Patmos. He was a prisoner, segregated, alone. The application is this. Jesus is often most intimate with us in the midst of our suffering and our trials. Both John and Stephen saw Jesus most clearly and gloriously in the context of suffering for the cause of Jesus. The wrath of the wicked brings the saints nearer to choice favor of God. And as I started this message with the testimony of my wife's cousin's husband, may we too, in our times of despair, find Jesus in the most clear way. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for just uh, your encouragement that we need to find our security in you. There's no one else that can help us there's no one else. May we lay our problems down at your feet. May we trust that you will intervene at the correct time. May we trust that you have the best answer for us. Lord, help us to be moldable and shapeable. Help us not to divert to the left or to the right, but help us to stand upon the rock who is your son, Jesus Christ. May we proclaim boldly in our hearts and out loud with our mouths that your son, Jesus Christ, is Lord. Father, we thank you and we love you. We give you all the praise, the honor, the glory, and the love. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.